My name is Chris Hadett, and I've been um, doing this for six months here, seven months here since January. Um, I am the missions and outreach pastor, and um, a little bit of my background. Um, some of you remember my first go-around here. I came to Cornerstone in 1999, um, back when Cornerstone just moved into Hamilton High School. We were a powerful group of 400 people um, ready to change the world, um, starting right with Chandler. And I was the junior high youth pastor. And I remember my first day, my first Sunday, I walked into this little classroom, still, still smelled of school. You know how schools smell sometimes? This room smelled of school. And, and, and I walked in there, and there were eight snot-nosed kids just looking at me. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and that was the beginning of my Cornerstone career. And had the pleasure of uh, ministering here as the junior high youth pastor, the senior high youth pastor, able to do a lot of the events, um, was able to teach a lot of the, the women's and the men's open sessions. And so had a lot of fun. And then God called me to go plant a church over in Santan Valley. And so from 2005... Um, to just this last December, I was um, the pastor out there at um, uh, beginning at Rock, Rock Eternal and then to Portico. And now it's our multi-site, Cornerstone Santan. And so I'm back here doing missions and outreach and doing the mine. So it's been a long journey. Lynn Winters, his background and my with me started in 1989. That's the first time I saw him. He was a scrawny-nosed skinny he was a skinny guy, and he was the youth pastor at, a, at a, just a crazy church called Yucaipa First Baptist. And I remember I got into his youth group two months before um, I graduated high school. And what brought me into the youth group was something, some weird type of thing called Friend Day. And, and so I came to the corners or to the First Baptist Church of Yucaipa's version of the Friend Day. And Lynn was a crazy youth pastor. He had like planes flying into the wall, and just, it was crazy. And I came in there and went, what have I been missing my entire high school years? And so I graduated high school and decided, you know what? I'm just going to relive my high school years right now. And I, I went up to Lynn and said, hey, I, I'd love to help out. And for the next couple years, I had no life. Had no life, no job, no money source. And every day I sat in Lynn's office and just staring at him. And he's like, what now? And so I'd go out and do all the karate kid things, paint the fence, wax the car, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually ended up becoming the junior high youth pastor. So Lynn's had a huge impact on my life, and it's just a thrill to be back um, here um, as Cornerstone is moving on and moving forward. So, Genesis. How many feel you have a fairly comfortable understanding of the book of Genesis? How many feel that you're like, yeah, so-so, I, I know most of the stories. I could probably pinpoint. If you tell me a story and it's not in Genesis, I could probably tell you that. Okay. How many of you have like zero, zero under, you're just like, I have no idea. You probably wouldn't raise your hand, but that's okay. No, no I, that was me. I had no clue about Genesis. In fact, I had no clue about the Bible at all. When I first started in ministry, actually, the only reason why I got a job is because my wife had a minor in Bible. That's the only reason why I got it. I was the fun guy up front, and she was the, uh, the smart person, and that's how I got into ministry. And I, it took me a long time to get comfortable with the whole idea of what the Bible was. In fact, it made me incredibly uncomfortable. I remember sitting in church, and they would toss out these words, and I would go, I had no idea because I, I didn't think they were English. Um, and they were real churchy words. And then they would say, turn to Ecclesiastes. And I'd be like, what's that? And for years, for years, growing up in church, I had a Bible and I left it under my chair. Because I was so afraid that if I opened the Bible and he said, turn to Ecclesiastes or turn to something, and I didn't know where it was, someone would know I didn't know where that was. And so I wouldn't read the Bible publicly. And when I got home, I, when I actually did take it out, it was one of those, okay, God, tell me what to do. And it's like, Judas hangs himself. No. And I didn't know what to do. And, and it was finally when someone said, hey, no one, no one knows everything about the Bible. And, and he challenged us, hey, just turn to the table of contents. If you don't know where a certain book is, just turn there. So that's what I want to challenge us tonight and over the next um, couple weeks and as we continue on through this series, 
This is the mind. This is supposed to be fun. We're going to dig into the Bible, but we don't all know everything. And so if you think you know everything, you don't. And if you think you don't know anything, that's fine. This is the perfect place for you. And so if, if I say turn to Genesis and you have to look in the table of contents, that's fine. Okay? Do that. Okay? And we'll give you time. And, and Questions are always welcome. How we're going to do the mine over the next four weeks and as we go on through the fall, we're going to do the first about two-thirds to three-quarters and we're just going to dig in and we're going to go through it and hopefully I can answer as many questions as possible. And then the last 15 minutes, we're going to open it up to questions. What this does is this gives those a chance who maybe don't have questions, they can, they can head out. Um, but those who do have questions... They can stay and ask, and I'll stay past eight if you need. So um, we just want to make this comfortable. We want to have fun. How many like to have fun in church? Good. How many like to have fun at the mine? Okay. One last thing I'm going to ask before we start this series. I really want to ask, if you're in here and, and you're taking the mine, you're saying, you know what, I just want to learn, 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 and that's all you want to do, I'm going to encourage you not to do that. I don't want this mind to be a university. I don't think churches should ever be a university. Churches should be a hospital. Churches should be a place where anybody is welcome. Anybody can come. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus. Um, it should not be a place where we just learn, 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 and then don't do anything. Um, James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And so we want to take what we learn um, at the mine, what we learn on Sunday mornings, what we learn in our small groups, and we want to apply them and get out there and do it, whether that's serving, maybe a second Saturday, maybe that's missions, maybe that's leading a Bible study, helping in children's, helping in youth. But we want to actively apply what we learn and and put it into action. And so as we look at Cornerstone and, and the big mantra is three to be, worship, grow, and serve, all three of those need to happen. All three of those need to happen. If mine is your only outlet, that's going to fall short. If Sunday morning is your only outlet, that's going to fall short. All three should be in place. So I want to encourage you um, as we go through this, yes, take in as much knowledge as possible, but apply it. Apply it. Get out there and go. The other thing is um, don't trust everything I say. I'm going to try not to mislead you. I'm going to try to answer everything as clearly as possible, but there's a chance, a good chance, that I might get something wrong or don't trust everything I say. Always bring your Bible. Always bring your Bible. This keeps you from drinking Kool-Aid in some jungle somewhere. Always bring your Bible. And what we're going to use for the mine is the New International Version. The reason why is because those are the Bibles we give out um, for free. So we want to make sure we're using the same translation. So if you didn't bring your Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. You're more than welcome to grab those. Those are free. Take them, use them, write in them, um, and we'll have fun. All right, let's go ahead and open a word of prayer and we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to mine, to dig into your word and search out those nuggets that, that are so powerful. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we um, continue on tonight and this summer and through the fall that um, you give us your wisdom. You give us the ability to see things exactly the way you see them. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, our pride is put aside and that um, your name is lifted up. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, the mind grows, that you bring those here that need to hear your word, that need to see your love. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this country. We thank you for the greatest country on the face of the earth that gives us the opportunity to meet freely and study your word. Heavenly Father, I just pray for tonight. Um, take away distractions and um, illuminate what you would have us learn. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible... Open to Genesis. It's the very first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And as we go through this um, summer series, the unbelievable stories of Genesis, here's what I want need, need you to know. We're not going verse by verse through Genesis. I cannot physically do that in four weeks. What we're going to do, and the whole idea for the summer, is just to take a little bit of a snippet of Genesis, and we're going to come at it from an angle of, what would a skeptic say? As I'm telling my friends, hey, I'm a Christian, what are, what are some of the first things they're going to ask? And some of those are going to deal with what we're going to talk about tonight, creation and the beginnings. And how did we all get here? 
Next week, we're going to talk about sin, the original sin, and this whole idea of the talking serpent. And I don't care who you are in here. You might go, oh, yeah. This. At some point in your life, you paused for a second and went like this and went, a talking serpent. Okay? And you just went on. Okay? And that's fine. There are some people that aren't going to go on. They're going to go and look at this talking serpent thing, and they're going to go, you're out of your mind. And so we want to talk about that. We're going to then talk about the whole idea of the flood and Noah's Ark and that crazy story um, of what happened so long ago. And then on the fourth week, um, August 6th, we're going, to, we're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel and this whole idea of how the, these people built this tower and how God came down and confused their languages. And we'll sort of talk about the whole origins of, of the nations and how we got to where we are today. So hopefully the summer session should be fun. Hopefully it will uh, encourage you to dig into the Word because ultimately you guys should be studying the Word. You guys should be reading God's Word each and every day. And so um, let's go ahead and start with Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis, the word Genesis literally means origins. Origins or the beginnings, the beginnings of all things. So Genesis is the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, and let's look at that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those, the first five words in that verse are critical to understand as a Christian. Critical to understand as a Christian. Because everything else is based upon our understanding of in the beginning, God created. Critical. The first 11 chapters in Genesis talk about the origins, the origins of the universe, the origins of earth, of man, of sin, uh, of nations. Of... And then from chapter 12 of Genesis through the rest of the Bible... God focuses on one man, Abraham, and his family. And we follow this thread that leads to Jesus Christ. That's why you don't see a lot of stuff about the Great Wall or Socrates or any of that kind of stuff because we're focusing on Abraham and we're following his family all the way through. But in order to understand why we need a Messiah, why we need the... We have to understand Genesis and specifically Genesis 1 through 11 and more specifically the first five words. So let's look at the first three there. In the beginning. What does that tell us? That's critical to understand. That there was a beginning. That there was a beginning. Everything we know had a start. In the beginning. And this is critical to understand because for years, for years people thought the universe had no beginning, that it was eternally existent. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, there was a beginning. The fourth word, God, not only was there a beginning, but at that beginning was who? God. So not only was there a beginning, but God was there. God was there. And then word number five, what is that? In the beginning, God created. So he is not some impersonal God, but he's a God that is active in his creation. He created everything. Everything we know, he created. So in the beginning, there was a beginning. At that beginning was God. And God created. I want to teach you a little um, logical um, step here. And if you have notes, and that's another thing that you could bring, are some notes. If you have notes, write this down. It's called, it's called a cosmological argument, and it goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. So the first part of this logical argument is whatever begins has a cause. And I want you to underline begins because that's important. Whatever begins has a cause. So according to the Bible, was there a beginning? Yes. In the beginning... God creates. So whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. We know this. And science has finally caught up, and they know this as well. There is and there was a beginning to the universe. So number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. And then finally, three, the logical answer to that, therefore, the universe has a cause. 
Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the inescapable answer to that is the universe has a cause. This is important as we're going to be talking to friends who will back up and say, well, no, 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 no. Science says this. Science says it was just an accident. Science says there was just randomness. It just went and it happened. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. That's a scientific law. The universe began to exist. We know that and therefore the universe has a cause. What we would say as a Christian is we believe that God is the cause. We both agree the universe began to exist. We both agree that everything that begins to exist has to have a cause. What a Christian would say is, I want to tell you that cause is God. That cause is God. In the beginning, God created. Now the word God used here, the fourth word in Genesis, is a Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is plural. So this isn't talking about just some single person named God. This is talking about a plurality God. As Christians, we know this is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? In the beginning, God created. So who was there at the beginning? God the Father. In verse 2, we'll find out the Spirit was there. If you turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What was, who's the Word? Jesus. So biblically speaking, at the very beginning, there was God. And it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then God created everything we know. And he created it out of nothing. Okay? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's look at verse number 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, so biblically speaking, here's the beginning. In the beginning was God. God created. So at the beginning, the earth was what? Formless and void. So let me, let me try to draw. Now, I am not a good drawer. Okay? So if I make something that looks weird or I misspell something, just murmur to yourself, giggle, whatever, point, that's fine. Okay, so day one, right in the beginning, we understand that in the very beginning, here was God, and the earth was what? Formless and void. And who was there hovering over the what? The Spirit was hovering over what? The deep, which indicates that there was waters. So in the beginning, this formless void was water, h 2 Oh, how many have ever seen one of those um, space shuttle shots where the, the astronaut is pouring his tang and all of a sudden the globules start to separate and you see this globule of tang floating? How many have ever seen that? That's how the earth looked at the very beginning. Formless and void, the spirit hovered over the deep, the waters. So now what we want to do is let's go through the six days of creation and let's look at how, what God placed in each one of these days. Okay? Let's look at day number one, verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and that he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So what was created on day number one? Yell it out. Light. Okay? So, we had darkness. Now we have light. Day one. I don't know how, whatever. Okay? So light was on day one. Um, God created and he separated light from darkness. And then what happened? There was evening and then there was morning. A couple things we want to point out real quick. And let, let's pause here for a second. There are several ideas out there of, well, maybe the earth is only 10,000 years old. Maybe the earth is 14 billion of years old. Most your scientists, most your teachers will come along and say, you know what, the, the, 
um, the universe is probably around 13.7 point point whatever billion years old. The earth is probably around 14.6 billion years old is I think the common um, numbers right now. You'll have a lot of Christians that will say, no, no, no. Um, the Bible says it's only anywhere between six and 10,000 years old. Um, and so where do we fall on that? Can I tell you, it really doesn't matter. And I know some of you might have went, oh. it really doesn't matter. There are strong, strong Christians, theologians who have degrees that I could never even dream of, who will tell you the earth is 10,000 years old. The universe is 10,000 years old. And then there are Christians, theologians that I listen to on YouTube and on podcasts every single week that I respect, who have degrees going forever, that will say, no. The universe is 13.7 billion years old. So there's disagreements on both sides within Christianity. Can I tell you, it really doesn't matter because the ultimate thing we need to understand is in the beginning, God created. And as we go through the Bible, the important thing to focus on is Jesus. It's easy to argue about all these other things and they're fun to argue about. And yes, we want to research and we want to get to know and try to find the answers. But at the end of the day, there are certain things in the Bible that we won't find answers for. We're not going to find answers for. Um, so what we're going to do today as we go through this, I'm going to walk through what, what, what would be called the young earth. And that means we believe that it's 10,000. That's sort of where I lean. I, can't, I can tell you I can't be dogmatic about that. But I do lean that we, have, we are part of a young earth and that everything we read in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 happened somewhere between six and 10,000 years ago. But again, don't shoot me down and say, but look at what, what this university says. They've proved that the universe... So let's look at verse 3 again. And God said, let there be light... And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Over the next six days, we're going to have um, some similarities here. Every single statement will start with and, so we got some kind of progression here. And it will always end with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Why start with evening? Anybody know who wrote Genesis? Moses. Moses most likely wrote or at least compiled this piece of Genesis. Who is he writing to? Hebrews. When does the Hebrew day start? In the evening, six o'clock. So evening always comes before morning. So there was evening, there was morning, the first day. The word day is the Hebrew word Y-O-M, yom which almost always is used to indicate a 24, a literal 24-hour day. Especially when it's got a word like first, second, third in front of it. So as we're looking through this creation story in Genesis 1, I believe we're talking about a literal 24-hour day and a literal seven-day week. That God created everything we know in six days, and he rested on day seven. So on the, so the first day he created light, let's look at um, verse six. And God said, let there be a vault, or some of your translations might say expanse, between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So day one, he created light. Day two, what did he create? Yell it out. Sky. Okay, so now we have, we have this earth. Okay, it's all water. And he separates it. And in this separation, he calls it sky. Okay? So day two, we have sky. Let's keep moving. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. You might want to underline the word kinds because that's important. And it was so, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit um, with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. All right, we're moving along. Day three, what happened? Created land, okay? So in the second day, we have a separation of waters going this way. We have waters down, waters up, and we have sky. Day three, we have a separation of waters this way, and we have land. Now, most likely at the very beginning on day three... We have land right here, and everything else is water. It's probably that supercontinent that you might have heard in school, Pan Pangea, okay? So most likely, that's what it looked look like. Who knows? It could have been the continents that we see today. But on day three, he created land. So let's, let's go back. Day one, he created light, separated light from darkness. Day two, he created sky, separated the waters above from the waters below. Day three, he created land, separated the waters from the sides. So the first three days, an easy way to remember this, if you want to remember um, the creation order, is the first three days, God created the backdrop. How many have ever been in theater before? Okay, God's creating the sets. Okay, this is the sets with a big old screen. You know, this is what it is. Okay, so God's creating the sets on the first three days. On days four, five, and six, he's going to put the characters on stage. Okay. So day one, we have light. Day two, we have sky. Day three, we have land. And what happened on land? Was it just Arizona land or did it actually have green? Okay. Okay. He created trees. Okay. Oh, I'm going to fail at this. There we go. It's a Christmas tree. All right. Trees, plants, all these kind of fun things. It was green, happy. Okay. Let's go to day four. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark, um, to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault. Remember the expanse of the sky to give the light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that the light was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. What did God create on day four? Okay, space. Okay, let's do the sun. Suns always have smiley faces. There we go. And crooked hair. All right, and stars everywhere. All right, and pots out in the sky. All right, so day four, he created everything we can see through a telescope. Now, how many are already starting to see something that looks a little weird according to the whole, the whole scientific method that we've been taught in school. According to science, and I say according to science, but according to science, what should have come first? This or earth? This, yeah. According to science, we had a big bang, and over billions and billions of years, as things cooled off, rocks hardened, and we started, we got planets, we got moons, and all that kind of stuff. They started developing into a solar system, and all that kind of fun stuff. According to the Bible, it's the other way around. The earth was the first to be formed. And then finally, on day four, we get the sun and the moon. What other kind of confusing thing does this elicit? Light. What was created on the first day? But the sun didn't exist until day four. Can I tell you that light is not necessarily coming from the sun or stars or fire? Because remember, in heaven, who's going to light up heaven? God. Will there be the sun and the stars? Okay. So right off the bat, God creates light or maybe energy. Okay. 
On day four, he transfers what we would see as light to the sun and to the stars, and the moon obviously is not technically a light, it's a reflector of light, okay? And this is to mark off the seasons, the months, the years, all that, all that kind of fun stuff, okay? So biblically, that's where that would land. Day five, verse 20, and God said, um, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Day number five. We are now filling this set. Okay, so we have birds. It's exactly accurate. Birds and, oh, I'll go Christianese here. There we go. Okay, there's a fish. He's smiling. He's got a mohawk because he's a rat. Okay, so we birds and fish, day five. Okay, so they're filling the set of day two. All right, and what was the command given to the birds and the fish? Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, and how were the, how were the birds and the fish created the same way the, the plants were created after their what? Kind, Okay. Here's what we need to know as we look at Genesis chapter 1. And a lot of times Christians go, I don't believe in evolution. Well, guess what? Evolution does happen. Here's the difference. When we're talking about creating after their own kinds, we're talking about microevolution. Okay? And we see that. That's observable. That's fine. What we are against is macroevolution. Okay? Cows becoming cats and all that, all these, all that kind of stuff. Okay? Day 6. Let's keep rolling. And God said, let the land... Am I on the right day? Yep. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground. Most likely that's um, reptiles and insects and all that kind of stuff. Uh, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then here, here we get into some real important stuff here. Then God said, let us make mankind. Everybody cheer. Woo-hoo! Let us make mankind in our image. Okay? Not in my image, but God said in our image. Another reference to the triune God. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I honestly, to be honest, I'm just going to be transparent. I wish he wouldn't have created all the creatures that move along the ground. I hate spiders, snakes, all that kind of fun stuff, but oh well. So God created mankind in his own image. Stop right there real quick. What does it mean in his own image? What does it mean in his own image? Okay. A lot of times we go, man, God looks like me. It's not what it's referring to. It's not, it's not a physical image, okay? It's talking about in his image, in his likeness. We are created it with love, okay? We are created with this whole idea of relationship, okay? So in his own image, um, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and to all the birds in the sky, and to all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that all that he had made, and it was, underline this next word, very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So day six, what do we have? Man, and let's, let's do this. This is, this is animal. There we go. I don't know. All right, so, all right. Oh, I forgot snakes. There we go. Okay, so day six, God created man, God created the animals. So let's go back. Day one, light, energy. 
Okay, the earth was there, form, void and formless. Okay, day two, he split the waters this way. We get sky. Day three, split the waters this way. We get land. Day four, we're now filling the sets. We got the sun, the stars, the moon. On day five, we, we're filling this set. We've got the, the birds, and then we've got the fish. Okay, day six, we're filling this set. We've got mankind, and we've got animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground. That is creation. That is it. Day seven, what happened? God rested. Let's look at that. Thus, chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. All right, so here we are. As Christians, biblically, if we're going to take it literally, God created everything in six days. Now, there are probably some questions. Well, what about that whole thing called the gap theory? How many have ever heard of the gap theory? Okay, the gap theory, basically, these people would say that between verse 1 and 2, there were billions of years, billions of years that happened and it all got mucked up, and that's probably when Satan fell or whatever, and then God started anew in verse 2. And what that does is it tries to marriage science with the Bible, saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll say that the earth is 14 billion years old because there's that big gap. Um, I, I don't buy that because a lot of things um, would happen during that that would sort of go against. Number one, again, the pattern biblically is different is different. We don't go from here and end up here and then go from here to there. It's a different pattern. The second thing is, we'll talk about this next week, but when sin came into the world, according according, um, to Romans 5.12, what happened? As sin entered the world, so did what? Death. Death came after sin. Death came after the fall. Death came after chapter 3. So if we have billions of years of death, that would, count, that would go against um, the biblical narrative here. Okay? Some would say, well, what about the ages? Because yes, maybe the Hebrew word yom means 24 literal hours, but you know what? It has been used to, to mean more of an age in some places. And, and yeah, that's, that, that, is, that is a possibility. But again... We're going to be hurting if each one of these days represents a billion years. Because by the time we get to day six, there are going to be snakes everywhere. There's going to be, it's going to be crazy. Okay? So again, it really doesn't fit with the biblical narrative. But again, speaking transparently, I don't care. It, it, it doesn't really matter if the, the universe is 14 billion years old, if the earth is 4 billion, or if God created in six literal days. That part really doesn't matter, okay? It's a minor battle, and we don't want to focus on minors. We want to focus on majors. But as we go through this, I'm going to lead you to, to where I think it is, and that's about six to 10,000 years old. And just to play it safe, I made sure I asked Lynn. Lynn, you are a young earth, right? He said yes. So let's look at chapter 2. And I checked my leather. It says 745. All right. So let's go through this real quick. This is the account of the heavens and the earth as they were created when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay? Now, right here, a lot of skeptics will go, here's a problem. The Bible has two creation stories. And not only does it have two creation stories, they seem to conflict. Can I tell you the Bible does not have two creation stories. It has one creation story, okay? You have the thesis statement for the entire creation in verse 1. And then you have sort of a floodlight in chapter 1 that illuminates the entire six-day creation. And then when we get to chapter 2, we go away from the floodlight and we zoom in with an extreme spotlight on one specific day. And that's day six. And so that's what's happening here. This is the account of the heavens um, and the earth as they were created when the Lord God made the heaven or the earth and the heavens. 
Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So again, it goes a little bit contrary to what evolution would say. Okay, Bible says man came from dry ground. Evolution says it came some, from some pr- uh, primordial soup, basically. All right, verse 8. Now God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden... Um, where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so let's stop at verse 9. So as we look at um, verses 4 through 9, anybody see something that catches you a little off guard, that looks a little contradictory? Anybody out there? Awesome. Here's what I want you to do. As we go through the Bible, take time and stare at it. When you're at home and study, Study it. Look at it deeply and think to yourself, okay, does this make sense? Put yourself in their sandals. Um, Do whatever you can, but try to get yourself into the moment. So we look at verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. And then it talks about how man was created. So what happened on day 3, according to chapter 1? Trees plants, all that kind of fun stuff. Now we get to chapter 2, and we're all the way to 6, because chapter 2 focuses only on 6, and in the Bible it says there was no what? Shrub, plant. Does that raise a question? Does that raise a problem? Yeah, raises a huge problem. And can I tell you, skeptics, if you look online, skeptics will bring this verse out and say, contradiction. There's a contradiction. There's either two totally different creation stories or you're contradicting yourself. Let's look at this closer. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on earth and no plant had yet sprung up. Here's where it helps to be able to go back and look into the original languages. Okay. We know the Bible, 66 books, so 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Um, the, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Um, the New Testament, for the most part, was written in Greek. So it helps to go back and look at the Hebrew. And so let's look at the word. The word shrub here is the Hebrew word sia or syoch. It means plant of the field. So hold that out for a second, plant of the field. And the word plant used here is herb of the field, which is esib. Okay? So syoch and esib. These are different than the Hebrew words used in chapter 1. The Hebrew words in chapter 1, and it clarifies itself a little bit, talks about plants bearing seed, fruit, or, or trees bearing fruit. What it's referring to in chapter 6 is saying before there were shrubs, before there were plants of the field. And what it's talking about is, is the type of plant that you need to actually work, to till like wheat, corn, stuff that farmers would grow, that yes, wheat, corn, bar, all that stuff did not exist on day three. The other is talking about thorns and thistles. That also did not appear on day three. What the author is saying right here is he's setting the stage for what's about to happen in chapter three. Before man had to actually work the ground, not just tend it and take care of it, But before he had to actually work the ground through blood and sweat and toil, before there was thorns and thistles coming out, basically, before the fall of man, here's what it looked like. Okay? So it's not a contradiction. It's talking about two totally different things. Okay? So let's keep moving because we're running a little bit out of time. Verse 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon, it's, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of the land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work, to work it. Now, this is not talking about the till and take care of it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And this is critical. You're going to want to look at this, especially for next week. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So let's stop here. Okay, it's talking about the Garden of Eden. Okay, and there were four, four rivers. How many recognize any of those rivers? Okay, two of them are still around today, the Tigris and the Euphrates. The other two, who knows? Okay, where do we think the Garden of Eden might be by looking at this? Huh? Okay, Iraq, the Middle East. Okay, possible, but when we get to the flood, we'll talk a little bit about that because as we talk about the global flood, the entire topography of the earth was changed. So what was, what was called the Tigris and Euphrates before the flood is probably in a totally different place. So no one really knows where the Garden of Eden is, okay? A lot of times they, they'll say in the Middle East because the Tigris and the Euphrates are there, but most likely as Noah was coming off the ark, the first two rivers he saw, okay, we'll name you Tigris and Euphrates, okay? So no one really knows where the Garden of Eden was. We do know that um, it was to the, um, to the east, okay? Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the, the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what, what he would name them. And whatever man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Okay, so we see a picture here of God bringing forth, just like he did with Noah and the ark, bringing forth all the animals, and Adam was just naming them. And I... Um, that would take a while, okay? That would take a while to name all the animals. Now, here's what you need to understand. He didn't have to name all the branches. All he had to do was dog, cat, okay? And he probably got less creative as he went down the line. Platypus, and then ended up with cow or whatever. But um, he just had to name the heads of each, so he didn't have to name Dalmatian, docks, and all that kind of fun stuff, okay? Scientists have um, tried to figure out if that was even possible to do in one day, and they figured that you can name the heads of every, every branch of the animal kingdom in about four hours. Okay? So Adam was, um, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So as that entire line went by, Adam's like, yeah, no, none of these are going to work. Um, but at, uh, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which isn't hard, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why the man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and, and they become one flesh. Okay, the institution of marriage right there. Okay, by the way... Um, the name Adam literally in Hebrew means man, okay? All right, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. All right, so that is the creation story, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And I know we flew through it very quick. So we're going to open it up for some, for some questions. Um, any questions out there? And we've got mic, a couple mic runners. And I will try to answer these as good as I can. There's one right down here. In Genesis uh, one twenty nine. Um, it speaks about man eating, um, I believe, seeds and earth mm -hmm. or fruit. It doesn't speak of man eating meat. No. In, in the Garden of Eden, man was created to be a vegetarian. Okay? However, all you meat lovers don't flip out. If you go to Genesis chapter 9, you'll see God reinstituting things, and then he gives man permission to, to eat all uh, meat and and vegetarians, but for um, at the beginning, it was it was just um, vegetables. Oh, okay, so that's great. Can you imagine the cows coming off the ark, going, "What?" Like, that would have been frustrating. But go ahead. So when you say uh, that we are not created in God's own image, I don't understand that. What what I mean is, yes, we are created biblically. We are created in God's own image. But a lot of times, I remember when I was in a youth group, um, a lot of the junior hires were going, so God looked like this. Did he have a mustache? Did he have that? It's not talking about like a mirror image. It's talking about in his likeness. Okay, so God is a God of love. God, and that's how we were created. We were created to have a loving relationship. So that, that's what it's talking about. Yes. 
I just have a question about uh, outer space. It's such a, a vast yes. uh, place, you know, uh -huh. with many galaxies. Uh, in comparison, we're a very, very small portion of that. What does the Bible say about <laughs> delving into outer space? Yeah. Um, if you've ever, if you've ever seen any of the YouTubes, and, and Mike has shown me a couple of these uh, of the Hubble telescope, and as it just keeps going and going and going, it is magnificent. It is magnificent, and we see all of creation just, and the size of things. I mean, the Earth is big, but then the Sun, and then you get to the nearest star, and you see just the immensity of God's creation. And so, according to the Bible, on on day four, all those things were placed there. And in the NIV, in the New NIV translation, it says the word vault, um, but a lot of translations use the word expanse, meaning that everything's expanding. If you look scientifically, that's exactly what's happening. Everything is expanding and moving and flowing. And so, yeah, the Bible would say God created everything, everything that's there. Day one, you just have, you just have this globule and you have space. You just have space, time, and matter that was created on day one. Okay? God eventually filled that with the galaxies and, and all those crazy cool things. Okay? And how we get to some of the arguments, and, and trust me, there are, there are things I'm still trying to figure out and that I'm going to line up to ask God about. Um, there's stars that are billions of miles, light years um, away, and then yet we're still seeing their light. So there, there, there's arguments on both sides. Uh, some, some of the great, a great book uh, would be um, a book called Starlight and Time, Starlight and Time by Randall Humphreys, and it and it, talk, and it talks about um, how this could have possibly happened and how we get to where we see today, how these stars are light years away and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, biblically, those were created on day four. Yep. I've got a question uh, myself. A lot of times non-believers will come back to us and say, why did God need to rest on the seventh day? I mean, after all, he's God. He's all-powerful, mm -hmm. all-capable. Why did God need to rest? Yeah, God didn't need to rest. God rested. Okay, God chose, chose to rest on the seventh day. And I think it was just to set a pattern for mankind. Okay, I think it's to set a pattern for how we, we should go. So. so I'm still confused about the different shrubs and bushes you okay. mentioned. Okay. All right, so in day four, it, it talks about um, seed-bearing plants and, and all that kind of stuff. And then in day six, in the narrative in chapter two, he talks about before this happened, before there were shrubs. And what it's talking about was, was the type of, of plant life that would come into existence after the fall of man. Remember, we see how a man was cursed and he was supposed to, to work the ground all the days of his life. And that's when we get the whole farming, the farming thing. And now he has to, instead of being able to pick his food and, and just, he has to actually work for it. And so then we start having those type of plants that arrive, the, the, the rice, the, all, all those kind of things that didn't exist um, in day three. And then the land was also cursed. And that's when we see the first appearance of thorns and thistles. And so in the Hebrew, th those are what he was describing in, in, uh, on day six in chapter two. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. And then it is eight o'clock. And as I said, um, I'm open to keep hammering questions out. That, that's cool. So, yep. Oh. Okay, I have one quick one. Um, in, in the repetition that happens in the six days, one of the things that happens over and over is that it says, um, and God saw that it was good. Uh -huh. I mean, it, it seems a bit unnecessary, and I understand no words in the Bible are unnecessary, so why do we have to say it was good? I mean, what else would it have been? It was good. It was complete. It was perfect. Okay, there was, there was, there was nothing to taint it. Um, there was no sin. There was no separation. There was no, no curse. Everything. So each and every day, um, as would be in, in Hebrew literature, they, they would do that repetitious thing. They always start with and, okay? And then it was good, evening, morning. So each day he was declaring, this is good. And then he got to man, very good. Okay. And I'm surprised someone hasn't asked a question of other people Thank that you. were created. But, um, you know. I've always been led to believe in studying the Bible that Adam and Eve was the first man and woman. Mm -hmm. All right. When you read back over to the sixth day, 
God created humans to be like himself. He made men and women. Say that, that verse again. Uh, the sixth day, the 27th verse. Uh-huh. God created humans to be like himself. Yes. It's referring, so, that's, so the first day it's talking about, it's the floodlight, and on day six he created man. Okay. Day six, it's going into a flood, or in, I'm sorry, floodlight. And day six, it's going into more specialized saying, here is the story of that first man. His name, or he was Adam, and then we get the woman, who, by the way, has not Does been named Does it not mean Eve. that it's plural? He created humans? Yeah. Yeah, you Adam. Adam, Adam and Eve? Yes. I'm, cur- I'm curious what your argument would be for the day being 24 hours. When we know that... Um, the day has not always been 24 hours. So what would the argument be if someone was going to argue with you about it being a young earth versus an old earth? If they would argue about the 24-hour day? Right. I probably wouldn't, to be honest, I wouldn't argue too hard because, again, I'm not going to be dogmatic on the whole 24-hour day, basically the, the one lunar, the one cycle. Um, but, yeah, I would say according to the Bible, it looks like it's talking about one full rotation on the axis. Okay, 24, whatever that is, one full day. And, that, and that's what Yom is referring to. So, yep. So this isn't really a question, but it's um, something that I felt God wanted me to share um, okay. about the universe. Okay. Um, I read a book called Crazy Love, um, and you can get it in this bookstore over here. French Jen. And it talks about the um, universe and that Jesus created that for, or God created that for just the fact that he knew we would be so fascinated and that he creates certain things just for us as individuals to be fascinated with. So, I don't know, not really a question, just something that helped me understand a little bit more about. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Mankind is the, the focal point of God's creation. And we were created to have a loving relationship, not religion, but a relationship with him, which which means free choice, which we'll talk about next week. Okay. And before, before too many people head out, because I know we're already done, so you can head out at any time, bring friends next week. We want to continue to bring friends. Yep. I actually was curious about how other people came about without having kids with family. Okay. okay. How other people came about without... Well, yeah, how did, we, how did we get to have more people on earth without doing that with family members. Okay. If that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the, the easy question is, at one time it happened with family members, um, and then at one point in time, and we'll get to this, this is one of those questions that we're going to be hitting in week four, um, as far as how did we get, not only how did we multiply, but how do we get black, white, it, how, did, how did that all happen? So we'll talk about that in six, or in week four. Yep. Did man, did God give man free will first and he passed it on to woman? Or did he give them both free will at the same time? That is an amazing question. And can I have permission to answer that next week? Because that is like the focal point of next week. Okay. But if you want, if you want ahead, you can come up afterwards. Okay. So... Um, real quick, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then if you have more questions, we'll still run the mic. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your creation. We thank you that you made us in your image, that you loved us. We thank you that you were there in the beginning, and you created. You had, you had your hands in on everything, and you created us with love. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray that as we go home tonight that we will dig into your word and that you will constantly put upon our mind what it means to be children of you and what it means to be created by God. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's still questions that you'll be able to clear those up. And Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity um, to be able to do something like the mine. And Heavenly Father, I pray that the, the mine never becomes a a place where we just get our artillery to go and fight the world, but that we under, that it's a place where we dig in and we see you and we see your love and we see your redemptive plan for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us a second opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here that does not know you as their personal creator, if someone does not know you as their savior, that they will not leave this room without talking to me or Mike or any of the staff. Heavenly Father, I just pray um, that you be with us this week um, um, and bring us back next week. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Still hit some more questions if they're out there. Mine was more of a, uh, an observation rather than a question. Okay. I, just, I just find it curious that mm-hmm. atheists usually uh, are so quick to say that the universe has no beginning, and yet when it comes to God, they're always asking, well, who created God? And Ooh, yet they always seem to point to the universe as eternal. Well, yeah. God, of course, stands outside of time. He created time when he created the universe. So he stands outside it. He supersedes it. He's not bound by it. You know, I, I, I absolutely agree. And for the most part, science has totally gone away with the universe being eternal. So, all right. Any other questions? Any other questions? Way over there. Yes. All right. This is workout mic night. Here we go. Wow. He's swift in his native habitat. Look at them go. All right. When God separated the waters, he called the expanse between the waters sky. What's the water above the sky? Great question. Um, And again, just like I asked permission, can I ask permission to hold that off? I'll I'll talk to you afterwards. Hold that off until week number three. We're going to talk about the flood. Um, and, and what possibly could have created all of the flood waters that came. So base, in basic theory, um, there is a theory out there that the waters on the, on the bottom became sea. The waters above were more like a, a, a water canopy that's above the earth that because of the flood would no longer be here. So that's one of the arguments where those waters would be or were. So the, the flood waters came from above the sky. Correct. Okay. And from, from below and above. But we'll talk about that in depth when we talk about the flood in week three. Thank you. All right. Any other questions? All right. Thank you guys for coming. I'll be down here if you want to talk. All right. Make sure we get your email if you haven't signed that clipboard.